Hello and welcome to the Always Be Watching podcast. My name is Chris. Um, I'm joined by my co-host Dan. How are you, Dan? Look, I'm doing fine. We're with you from midnight through to 4am. Yeah, exactly. I thought I had a nice little sultry thing going on there. Chris, do you remember there was a TV show in the, I'm going to say, late 80s, very early 90s? I already know what you're talking about. Which one? It. Midnight so, Caller. Midnight Caller. <laughs> of course. I loved Midnight Caller. It was a fantastic so show. Was it Gary Cole? I want to say it was Gary. Oh, that sounds very... Bl- I'm not even going to look it up. Yes. Let's say it was Gary Cole. Yeah. The, the brilliant, un- underappreciated Gary Cole. Yeah. My memory of it, and bear in mind, I was maybe 10 years old when this was on the air. My memory was that it was like a late night DJ who used to get involved in solving a mystery, like a murder mystery every week. If it wasn't that, I'm not even going to... Again, I'm not going to look it up. I want to remember it that way. Yeah. If it wasn't that, I'm not even interested. <laughs> uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Barrett. You've just heard him chatting there. How are you, Dan? Oh, look, I'm doing fine. Excellent. Uh, Midnight Caller fan and um, <laughs> first time podcaster and long time listener. No, no. Long time podcaster. Dan actually invented podcasting in this country. Long time podcaster, first time listener. Yeah, yeah. That's more like it. Uh, in our podcast, we like to discuss uh, in a very casual manner the things that we've been watching um, over the last preceding seven days. Yeah, we like to keep things conversational. The way that I usually tell people what this podcast is really all about and how we engage with it is that let's say that you're out having some drinks with the lights from your fencing team. Okay, you've yeah. been you've been out there, you've had the mask on, you've had like the white outfit. Okay? It must be Wednesday when my fencing day. Exactly. There's a bit of like that on guard action yes, happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so afterwards, after you've had a rousing spa with your fencing mates, you're having a pint with the lads. And you're chatting about what you've been watching on TV. Yes. That's, it's very much catching that, the spirit of fencing. Uh, I can't fence anymore on account of my ailing health. So <laughs> this is the next best thing, Dan. So thanks for bringing this into my life. Yeah. I'm sorry if I brought up some bad memories. <sighs> it's all right. They're all bad memories. Um, but uh, the present is fantastic because here we are about to talk about some more programs we've been watching um, over the last uh, week. And I wanted to start, but now because I'm the one talking, that's not going to happen. So I'm going to have to say to you, Dan, what have you been watching? Chris Yates, I've been watching a TV show. I'm not sure if you've heard me bang on about it. It's called Mr. Robot. I like coming here. Your Wi-Fi was fast. I mean, you're one of the few spots that has a fiber connection with gigabit speed. It's good. It's so good. It scratched that part of my mind, part that doesn't allow good to exist without condition. So... I started intercepting all the traffic on your network. That's when I noticed something strange. That's when I decided to hack you. I know you run a website called Plato's Voice. Pardon me? You're using Tor networking to keep the servers anonymous. You made it really hard for anyone to see it, but I saw it. The onion rooting protocol, it's not as anonymous as you think it is. Whoever's in control of the exit nodes is also in control of the traffic, which makes me the one in control. I must ask you to kindly leave. I own everything. All your emails, all your files, all your pics. Now, Chris, I know that you've never watched Mr. Robot. Uh, Look, I haven't, and it's not out of any disinterest. Yeah, what is your understanding of the program? Christian Slater... Um, is a hacker and probably um, hacks into stuff. Yeah, look, that's probably enough. Like, <laughs> and I mean, that should be enough that, to get me on board. Enough. Yeah, it yeah. really was, but I don't know why. <laughs> I just still haven't gone there yet. So back in the early 2000s, Christian Slater, for I think it was maybe the first time, did a guest appearance on TV and he did a couple of episodes of The West Wing. Now, he was on that. He was incredibly charming and he brought his Christian Slater-ness to the West Wing and people afterwards when he finished up that run was 
like, where's more Christian Slater? We need more Christian Slater in now, our lives. I've been then, saying that since the 80s. Yeah. But I mean, particularly just on television. Sure, sure. Okay. I mean, we've all seen like many great Christian Slater films. Mm-hmm. The best one being... Pump Up the Volume. Pump Up the Volume. Yeah. <laughs> now... Cuffs is pretty good. I see. I'm, I can't get into yeah, cuffs. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I know that regular always be watching listener, uh, Michael Maloney, is aghast at the fact that I didn't like cuffs. Oh, really? I'm, I'm, I'm on board with Maloney yeah. on cuffs in a big way. I'm going to hey, watch it again. It is what it is. Gleaming the Cube. Uh, also, Broken Arrow is a good Christian Slater <laughs> yeah, joint. He made a lot of good movies in a, in a yeah. really short period of time there. He was maybe one of the very few good things about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Young Guns and Young Guns 2. I've never seen a Young Guns movie. Oh, my God. I know. Me and Maloney are going to give you so much crap about that. But anyway, obviously, great filmography. You come to television and you've got The West Wing, but then there's just like a whole bunch of terrible shows after that. He did this thing called Breaking In. There was another one or two. He was in a little bit of an archer. Incidentally. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. I say incidentally because we were talking about that, but that was off mic, so no one knows. No. My sister's got this great Christian Slater anecdote, which is that Christian Slater, because obviously the years after all the Slater films that we were talking about, things weren't necessarily so great for him. He's appearing a lot of direct-to-video stuff, mm-hmm. just, you know, things that weren't really sort of so fab. But because he was in a lot of that direct-to-video stuff, he was shooting it all in Vancouver. Mm. Okay. And so my sister was on holidays and she was in Vancouver and she was talking to like, you know, she was, like, in her early 20s when she was there. She's talking to, like, people from Vancouver, and they were saying that they used to see Christian Slater all the time. And if you're out at a bar and Christian Slater was around, he was always the guy that you wanted to, you know, sort of be near because he was very generous. And ah. because he's just constantly out on location where he didn't really sort of know anyone particularly, he'd sort of Bill Murray it a little bit. Oh, wow. And so he would just kind of latch on to, like, a group oh, of people. And he would take them out for the best night ever. And by best night ever, I'm talking, we'll say drinks. <laughs> Tequila and karaoke. Yeah, we'll say that. And, and coincidentally, that is my best night ever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you ever see oh Christian Slater out and about, but I don't think that's probably the case anymore. Probably not. He's probably matured. I'm sure he has. So, anyway, cut to 2015. He ends up turning up in a show called Mr. Robot. He's not the star of the program. He's definitely a, uh, we'll say a co-star. He's not necessarily in every episode, but he crops up very frequently throughout the program. Now, Mr. Robot is a show that very much relies on lots of twists and turns. It's a dark, paranoid techno-thriller. Uh, there's a, a very strong connection to a very specific movie that I'd like to highlight. And if I did that, you'd be like, that sounds really interesting. But I can't talk about what that is because it kind of gives away one of the core conceits of the first season. Is it Swordfish? It is not Swordfish. <laughs> but man, what a great movie. <laughs> I've never believed in a hacker more than Oof, watching Hugh Jackman type away like that. It's a sweat on, doesn't he, when he's hacking? <laughs> oh, does he ever? work. He needs a solo after all that. <laughs> so, the idea of this, and it is difficult for me who's in season four, which mm. is the current season that's being broadcast, to talk about season one without giving away the main game of the show. But what you need to know is that it's about this dude named Elliot. He is a bit of a weird introvert, sort of creepy dude who, in his spare time, does a fair bit of hacking. Uh, He spends a lot of his time just hacking his friends, uh, his therapist, his boss, everyone in his life. He knows everything that's happening in their life from just small little transactional things they might be doing online to knowing about like their deepest, darkest sexual secrets, uh, both in terms of what they might be looking up in terms of pornography as well as things they're just willing to do in a bedroom. Gross. You know, it's essentially he's delving too far into the, the personal lives of all of his friends. But the show never really judges him for that, which I think is maybe... A bit weird. It's a bit weird. But also, everything that we're watching in the show is very much filtered through his perception of the world. Sure. And that's an important thing to keep in mind with the show. 
Uh, so he's as the show opens, you find that he's doing the occasional good deed. So it opens with him talking to a guy who runs a series of coffee shops, and this guy's also running a online pedophile ring. Right. Okay, lots of trading of pornography and that sort of thing. Really gross, and it's about him exposing this guy for what he is. So he engages in a bit of that. When you watch the first episode, you think that's kind of what the show's going to be. It's about this guy who every week he ends up finding out some sort of malfeasance and brings it down. The show doesn't really do that, though. Hmm. It starts with that, and then it takes a bit of a swing sort of away from it. So in the first episode, you come across this weird hacker guy who we, the audience, will call Mr. Robot because that's what the show is called. Uh, And the show itself does start calling him Mr. Robot after some time, but I think it takes about two seasons for that to start happening. But the Christian Slater character is a bit of a mystery guy, and he's running a small collective of hackers of whom are trying to do something. And you don't quite find out exactly what it is, but you know that it's related to bringing down what they call Evil Corp. So E Corp is this large business that's kind of it's every sort of big multinational company that exists in the world, like sure. your Googles and you know oil companies and Amazon, Amazon and Johnson and Johnson, and it's all Nestle. these sort of things all sort of rolled into one large yep. conglomerate. And so Elliot's Elliot works as like his daytime job for a secure like an online security company, and their biggest client is E Corp. Great. Now, because it's all filtered through Elliot's mind, every time that you see E-Corporate in somewhere, you see it as Evil Corp, because cool. that's his perception of the company. So you've got that, and the entire show is very much uh, anti-consumer, anti-capitalist techno-thriller. All that said, what's interesting about the program from a 2019 lens is that it starts in 2015, Obama's still the president, it's very much rooted in the concerns everyone had about big businesses through the Obama lens, mm. and how you want to bring down a big business. What you find when you're watching in 2019 is you're seeing a show which has tried to evolve with the times and our concerns in the world. And by that, I'm talking about Trump. Okay. Concerns in the world, but still keeping it set in 2015. Right. Okay. Because the entire show is set over like a four or five month period. Wow. That's interesting in itself. And so you are watching sort of uh, Trump fear running through the show taking place. But at the same time, the show also needs to adapt to new ways of thinking about what a corporation's role is in society and where that sits with the balances of power with government structures. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really interesting program. Uh, it sounds fantastic. The thing I will say is lots of viewers watched it for the first season and thought it was really quite a nifty, interesting program. Hits the second season, and for the first four or five episodes of that season, it is such a tough slot. I remember you mentioning this previously. Yeah. It's a rough patch. It's, it's a rough patch. But I will say that as someone who in the last couple of weeks has gone back and rewatched all of Mr. Robot, okay, I'd only really watched the first season and gotten through, I think, all of the second season before I sort of tapped out. The show works so much better as a binge than it does yeah, watching yeah, it week right. to week. And even that rough patch at the beginning of season two, like it means that you'll probably be sort of twitching in your seat a little bit during season yep. two, but you're not going to notice it as much as the week to week viewers were. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. The show is fantastic as a binge. It is visually bold and audacious. It looks like no other TV show on the air. And the storytelling as well, if you're watching it on that binge, you are going to notice story threads that are picked up from the first or second episode that are only being paid off in that third to fourth wow. season. It's such a smart, clever program, and nobody is really watching it because you're one of two viewers. One, you've never either never heard of the show or sampled it, or two, you probably hit that second season like rough patch and tapped out of it. 
but the show has done so many cool things since then mm. that the show needs to be watched like I think this is one of the great gems on television right now that is just being unwatched by people like you Chris yes yeah, I'm part of the problem uh, is this the last season I remember so thing. season 4 is the last episode it's 13 episodes yeah. and it's all set over what I think is a 10 day period at Christmas time yeah right so it's like a TV like Christmas movie wow that, like stretched out over a few episodes Are you have you made it to the end yet uh, well, it hasn't finished yet. So oh, right. what I am doing in talking about it this week specifically on the podcast is I've gone back and I've done the three seasons, so 33 episodes all up uh, of the show in order for season four. If you started now and you don't need to spend like multiple days just doing nothing but watching Mr. Mm. Robot, which is what I did. Yeah. But watch a few episodes a week. You'll probably catch up in time for like the final couple of episodes of season four. Ah, nice so idea. it's probably a good time to start now. Just watch two or three episodes a week and you'll probably get through it. Excellent. Yeah. I'm going to try, Dan. I promise I'll try before next time yeah. we, so we meet. Mr. Robot in the US, you can find the like early seasons on Amazon Prime Video, uh, but it is airing as a USA Network original series. In Australia, you can find every episode on Foxtel. And while the Foxtel TV service isn't broadcasting the new season, you can find them on demand. So they are putting them up there. But not not putting them on one of their many channels. No, which I don't understand. Whatever. But, but it is there on demand, so I'm going to go home and watch the next episode when I get back. It's not the uh, first interesting decision made by that company in recent years. Indeed. But also, this is a show that's completely off-Broadway. The fact that they are even dropping it online, I think is great. Right. Th- there's no demand for this program. Interesting. Yeah. Which is a shame because legitimately, if this was on Netflix, I think this would be Stranger Things level of, you know, viewer obsession. It's not quite as accessible as Stranger Things is, but I think there's a lot going for it, particularly now that it's got uh, Academy Award nominee, Rami Malek. Did he win? He may have won. You're asking the wrong guy. Anyway, Chris Yates, what have you been watching? I have been watching the Australian TV series Utopia. Bravo, maestro. Mercy. Where's our name? Didn't need it. On a logo? Mm-mm. Not when you've got something that strong. Thank you. I thought the whole point was to tell people who we are. Tell him, Carsten. The more you write, the more words and letters that you use, the mm. less you actually say. This way, the logo does all the talking. Okay. And what is it saying at the moment? Listen to it. Hmm? I need someone to speak on its behalf. Now, Chris, uh, currently I work for a government department. Yes. And the last thing I want to do every night is go home and watch a comedy series talking about how funny bureaucracy is. <laughs> but I do know from a number of my colleagues, they really quite enjoy the show. It's really quite funny. So, you know, I am of the generation who caught The Late Show on television in um, when I was 17 or whatever, when I was still in high school. Um, it was an, a breath of fresh air to have some somewhat subversive but still very accessible um, live comedy on television, something that's never really been uh, achieved since by anyone else in Australia and also not really by any of the crew involved in the show except for maybe Martin Malloy on the radio, I would argue. Mm. Um, the panel was a thing for a while. I, I would say there's actually been a few good live shows since then, but go on with your theory. Uh, how many good live Australian sketch shows have been on television I'm not necessarily talking about sketch yeah, shows, but well, comedy shows. Yeah, well, that's just... 
Pull, pull your head in. <laughs> um, no, but anyway, obviously there's a, an, an elevated sense of reverence to that show placed on a lot. Some people like me and um, our friend Sean and other people who really <laughs> just go on about it relentlessly. Still quoted um, a lot to this day. <laughs> Xavier, my other friend, still sends me pictures of like the, you know, anyway. You know what, um, Chris? Skivvies are back. Skivvies are back. And, um, you know, we watched that over and over again and there was this thing. So anyway, it's been, obviously, I've paid attention to everything they've done through the, through the years. Um, I really, really really enjoyed uh, Hollow Man, which was the, sh- the, the satirical um, program about the Prime Minister's apartment, um, which ran for a couple of seasons, had some excellent performances in it. Um, and Utopia really is very is pretty much just that trans- transplanted over to the um, uh, the, the uh, government sector um, on a on a more bureaucratic level than as opposed to a policy kind of level. Um, and like. It's it's such a it's such a it's such a compelling watch, but it is so hard to get through sometimes because of all these reasons. It's like yes, it's funny, but it's true. But quite often, it's much too true to be um, really considered. You know, it's it's that thing where far, it's farcical, but really, it's not any more of a level of farce than anything any of us actually have to deal with in these situations. So, why would you watch it for entertainment? I don't know. But I do, and I like it. Well, and I guess I'm a bit removed from that kind of um, now with my job and my work, so yeah, that's a nice thing. Interestingly, it's still written by um, Robin Santo and Tom, Tommy G. Um, Tommy G from the news desk. Tommy G from the news desk. It's all very much in-house. It's amazing how long those um, people have been working together and really doing a good job with it. Uh, Kitty Flanagan is in it. That's a turn-off for a lot of people. Not for me. I love Kitty Flanagan. I think I she's amazing. I don't mind her. She's fine. Yeah, I think she's fantastic. I, was, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day. I was like, can't watch that. Kitty Flanagan's in it. <laughs> It's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Celia Pacola, am I saying her name right? Yeah, I think so. Um, has obviously gone on to do uh, have a. It's been a great launching pad for her. I think it was the first thing. She, I think it was before the um, Rose. What, what's that show called? Rose Haven. Rose Haven show, which is a show I quite like. I quite like Rose Haven too. It's very good. Talk yeah. about a low stakes show. They yeah. might, someone lost their pig in an episode. It was fantastic. <laughs> I love that episode. They got the pig back. No spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert there. Um, but there's, I, I really enjoyed. Um, I think, I think it's getting. I think it's also actually, Luke, Luke McGregor, the co-star from Rose Haven, also in Utopia. Also in Utopia. That's right. Uh, it was not anymore. I don't think. Oh really? Yeah, I don't think so. That's disappointing. And not in. Se- I don't. Th- I haven't noticed him in season four anyway. Um, so, but I think he's actually been doing some other stuff too. Maybe yeah, I'm sure he has too, too successful. Bit of a rising star, that guy. Yeah, yeah, very, very funny as well. Um, so, but I think the season four has actually been. Uh, it's 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 probably the best season I've seen of it so far. To be honest, it's, they've really hit their stride well. Um, they're really kind of. Uh, they're they're really trying to address some of the absolute you know, lack of accountability government that we have at the moment. Um, and they're trying to do that in different ways. I think they, they're doing a really good job of not mentioning anything specifically, but very deliberately mentioning everything that's actually going on at the moment in Australian politics. Part of the struggle I have with the show, and this is something where I just kind of need to get out of my own mind with it. When I come to all the shows that the DGEN have done post The Late Show... It just kind of feels like they're copying the smartest, like, cleverest sort of comedy that's around at the moment and adapting it for whatever's kind of half in their mind for an Australian context. So you think about Frontline, which everyone reveres as being like this sort of, you know, really smart, like, piss take of uh, current affairs shows from the early 90s. And look, I'm not going to let you say a bad thing about... 
frontline. No. And this is the thing. Like, frontline, if you look at it just front on with no sort of outside knowledge, like, I think the show works remarkably well. It's a show that, you know, suddenly meant a lot to me as I grew up as a teenager watching that. But then as I came across the Canadian show, The Newsroom, I started looking at it thinking, well, no, Frontline's really just kind of ripped off the style and intent of the newsroom. And then you look at things like Hollow Man, it's like, well, Hollow Man is pretty good just on the surface. But then you start looking around uh, like the thick of it and it's yeah, like, well, they've kind of just like ripped that off and put it in like an Australian context. And Utopia is definitely a thing which I think is probably more original than what you saw with either Frontline or Hollow Man. But even so, I just can't get out of my own mind that these shows don't feel... Like, they're completely original in their own... Well, I don't think they are, but I don't think they actually... I don't think in any way they have to be. And well, I think that this the, the way they... Well, like, I am thinking about the fact that I don't know if this is necessarily a problem, but I just can't get out of my own mind that these aren't as original as I would like them to be. I just think they did... They, they just did such a great job of accurately reflecting, you know, like whether... And, and turning, you know, pulling humour out of the things that are otherwise um, either just, like, really annoying or obvious or... Um, it's it's the stuff, especially with Frontline, you know, I mean, and that's a hilarious to watch these days because, I mean, we have gone so far beyond the parody of, the, the sensationalist parody of Frontline, you know. Well, I mean, the thing they're making fun of that they're lampooning is it doesn't exist anymore. No. I it, mean, it sort of does, but not really. Of. It doesn't have the cultural resonance. That no, no, absolutely not. And, no. like, went so far beyond the, like, the, the some of the things they did in that show to be shocking and be a little bit worse than what was actually happening at the time. Um, also, it's hard to lampoon those shows because they were doing some pretty crazy, like, nonsense things. If anything, I think Frontline maybe went a little bit soft at times on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point, actually. Um, and, you know, and perhaps it's the same thing that could be argued. I do have some problems with Utopia that I would like to use this um, soapbox that I'm on now. <laughs> oh, please. Um, let, let me dust off the top for you. Go for it. But before I go to the problems, I just wanted to a special uh, Nina Oyama, who's... Um, just unbelievably funny is getting more and more lines this season which is very very good yeah no she's um, great uh, the first time I ever heard her and it might have been like her breakout anywhere really was appearing on an episode of Dan Illich's Irrational Fear podcast oh, yeah, right. and I think she was still a high schooler when she mm. appeared on that but yeah like ever since I heard her on that like anytime I hear that she's done something I'm always paying attention yeah, she's blisteringly funny um, but no so okay so there's a couple of problems I have with it just very briefly uh, it does glorify this kind of like um, it gl- glorifies CEO culture with Rob Sitch in the, in the position of like the CEO being portrayed as like pretty much him and Celia are the only two people in the office that have a clue what's going on and everyone mm. else is just like so caught up in their own like office management styles and stuff which is the complete opposite of every single company I've ever worked for so, um, sorry, wouldn't the CEO be the person in a position of power and ability to be able to change that culture? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Does the show deal with the fact that he is powerless for... Because uh, I appreciate a government bureaucracy can get in the way of even the best of intentions. Yeah, like, it kind of like, you know, he, he, he sort of succumbs... He, he, he's well-meaning and goes along with it all and tries to, you know, enjoy Silly Hat Day and these kind of things. But, you know, really all that's just getting in the way of him doing his job, which is fine. But it's just not been in my experience that... Um, my personal experience that the CEO has had any kind of clue about what's going on at, at all and is more interested in, um, in in the complete opposite and they're more of a figurehead that are just there to sort of like shake hands with the right people and all that kind of stuff. Might now, be different in government bureaucracy. Because I'm thinking about the exact same company that the two of us worked for for a while. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a couple of others on you, but yes, we, we, we were. Worth noting the share price of that company, not so great anymore. <laughs> and the CEO of that company, no longer with the organisation. No longer with the organisation. So maybe my personal experience isn't all. But anyway, you know, obviously there's a little bit in romantic... Ro- 
giving the CEO the uh, the guise of being the dude that is the only one that knows what's going on irks me a little bit. But it's Rob Sitchin, you know. He's made a lot of weird decisions like that sort of stuff, and we're not exactly from the same world. So, so I understand him going down that path. He's still... You know, I still can't. I still can't not like him because of our um, shared history together. Um, <laughs> me as the viewer and him, me, uh, him, me watching him laughing. The other thing that I find a bit unsettling about it, and it's also about this CEO character, is that you know he he's always coming up with ways to sort of outsmart the government and get things past them without them knowing. And even when he has to take the fall for something, he sort of manages to do it in a way where. He's just completely righteous. And it's just this sort of like, it just reeks of kind of um, know-it-allism and sort of the smart, powerful man at the top um, getting his way in the end anyway, uh, despite his bumblingness. But it's a, it's a minor, it's a minor um, criticism, really, of what is a very, very funny show and one that I hope will... I don't know if it's going to keep continuing. Really, it doesn't matter, because whatever they do next will be a slightly similar thing. It'll probably be a show about uh, people making a podcast... Um, that is uh, culturally relevant. Like this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying that Utopia earlier seemed a little bit more original, but in thinking about it, it really feels like it's just tapping into the games and then there was that UK knockoff series that kind of felt like it was doing the games. Yeah, yeah. It was about was like, it? Uh, it was about, you know, the Olympic Games again. It was 2020, I think it was oh, called. Oh, is that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Of course, the games was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't, like I say, I don't have a problem with things being not original. Um, I mean, like, I don't either, but, like, I still just can't get it out of my head. But it's not Fair quite. enough. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I'm going to give it uh, a good review. Utopia. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that all of a sudden. I never used to do that. Uh, so, anyway, Utopia. And, and the reason it's timely to talk about it at this point is because season four is now completely available on iView, so you can watch the whole lot. Are the earlier seasons there as well, do you know? Oh, that's a good question. They were, but um, they do tend to drop off and put stuff on and off, don't they, on that... Because it's, it's 2019, and I can't start a TV show from season four onwards. You can't? No. I can, like, stumble across an episode, but I can't oh, just watch it off right, the bat. Let me have a look. Let me have it's a like how I can never go back and rewatch Cheers and start with a Kirstie Alley. <laughs> it's, it's Diane or GCFO. Man, the Kirstie... You're missing... Uh, no, no, I'm, I know what you're saying. You're not saying you're not going to watch the Kirstie no. ones. Of course. That'd be ludicrous. Mm. Um, Although the show definitely took a hit when... Kirstie Alley joined the cast. She gets back, but she gets it back. Robin Concord, those are those are great episodes. What did you do? I think it would have been about two weeks ago now when we celebrated the 25th anniversary of Look Who's Talking. Well, of course, as I do every year, I um, <laughs> got out my Blu-ray of Look Who's Talking. Um, uh, do you remember? Do you remember? Well, surely you did a marathon with Look Who's <laughs> Talking too, and then also Look Who's Talking now. Do you remember that um, originally? I don't know if this is true. You will know if it's true. That Look Who's Talking was actually like this just straight up rom-com that um, they they made and finished and went like, this is total garbage. We need an angle for this. That can't be right. And then they um, overdubbed. So then they put in the baby and they put in Bruce Willis and they did all that kind of stuff. And if you watch it, it I mean, makes it's sense. possible. But yeah, yeah. If Watch it back. You can see the scenes that they picked up and you can see what they did to kind of save this thing from being just a, a horrible um, Kirstie Alley comedy. Uh, I'm just checking the... There's an actor who never transitioned to film particularly well, did she? No, she didn't really. Um, or just... There was a bit of a... I mean, yes, n- none of the women really got out of Cheers well. No. Unscathed. But, I mean, it was also hard for a sitcom actor of the time to break through. Season four of Utopia on the ABC iView. Maybe the other seasons are on there as well. I'm not sure. Okay, I will look into that. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Um, what have you been watching? 
Chris, I have watched a movie, a feature film called, Look out. called Under the Eiffel Tower. Hey, buddy. Yeah. I think you should come with us. Two weeks in France. What do you think? You know how much Rosalind adores you? Plus, she wouldn't have to be stuck alone with her parents. Can we just leave them behind and live a life of ease, just the two of us? Would you do me the honor of being my wife? What? What in the hell? I'm 26 years old. You're what? You're 50? You're a very pathetic unemployed, just sad, sad person. <laughs> Cheer up, man. The most beautiful women in the world live in southern France. Can I guess what kind of film this is? Yeah, sure. An action adventure. No. A horror film. No. A rom-com. Actually, when you said horror film, Ooh. that's not entirely off point. Ooh. But it is more a romance of sorts. A romance horror. A rom horror. Let me give you this as a... Okay, this is the official like logline for Go it. Go for it. I love this. Okay, but then I'm going to throw the question to you, like reframing it a little bit. Okay. So, the blurb that you find here on IMDb says, Stuart is having a midlife crisis. Desperate for something more in life, he tags along with his best friend's family vacation to Paris, then proposes to his friend's 26-year-old daughter while standing under the Eiffel Tower. Now, based on that, how interested are you in watching that? Not dis- not completely disinterested. Okay. Let's maybe reframe this a little bit. And what if I told you, hey, Chris, would you be interested in seeing a movie set in France? It's kind of like a French sideways. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But starring Matt Walsh. Mm-hmm. who you know from all sorts of comedies, but particularly TV's Veep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, of whom is having a bit of a freak out in life. He ends up going on a holiday with his friends, as played by Michaela Watkins and David Wayne. Mm-hmm. David Wayne, obviously the writer-director of like the Wet Hot American Summer series and a whole bunch of very funny, very funny. American comedies. Uh, and then he proposes to their 26-year-old daughter after being in the country with her for maybe 24 hours. Yeah, look, it's, it's what sounds- if straight after that happening, they go out into wine. Well, he goes out into wine country. Okay, comes across Reed Scott, also from TV's Veep. Uh, he's a play- guy that plays Dan Egan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that guy. Yeah, and he's playing a Scottish dude. And it's the two of them just trying to mack on with a French woman that they find on a train on the way out to wine country. Neither of them have any money, nor any skills or real personalities no, that people pe- want to spend time with. Yeah, yeah. How does that sound? Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 100% on board. I'm a weird person. Here's the thing. Like, I knew who the cast were in this. And as soon as I saw that Matt Walsh was starring in a rom- romantic comedy, <laughs> yes. like, I thought there's going to be something a bit to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And watching it, it's definitely a little bit quirky. And Sideways is the obvious um, reference point for this because they end up in wine country and spend a lot of the film at a winery. Getting drunk. The French girl that they find on the train, uh, she runs this winery, and so the two of them kind of fall for her and just follow her around because they've got nothing else happening in their lives. As a conceit, like that's kind of funny, and knowing who the talents are and knowing what this could be. The film itself doesn't really have the large number of jokes that you want, nor does it really have any sort of emotional resonance. So by the time you hit the end of the movie, you'll wonder why it was that you watched this entirely. Right. Even so, I still had a pretty fun time watching yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was good. Like, I don't know what else I'm going to do at 9.30 at night. I'm just going to put on this movie and see how it goes. It's 90 minutes. It's a very easy watch. There's a bunch of actors who crop up sort of throughout it where you'll be like, oh, wait, it's there's, Gary Cole. It's Gary Cole. From TV's Veep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, those are the only three Veep actors in it. But also for a movie to exist with three Veep actors in it. 
that's pretty, you know, those oh, yeah. are good odds. That, absolutely. Yeah. So my guess is, is that this was maybe filmed because they were ready to shoot the new season of Veep and then Julie Louis-Dreyfus was sick with a cancer issue and so they had some free time on the calendar and so the three of them ended up in this movie. Yeah, right. That's, I'm guessing that's how this came about. Because it seems weird that there's three actors yeah, from Veep all appearing in it. Interesting guess. And it, like time-wise, that kind of syncs up in terms of the timeline. But yeah, if you're on Netflix and you're just looking for a way to pass 90 minutes, you will do far worse than this movie. But also, you're not quite going to have the, you know, it, it's not going to come away being a quiet favorite of yours. Like, this is not going to be a cult hit. This is not going to be sideways. No. It's not sideways. It's not with nail and eye. Right. Like, it's certainly not on that level. Sure. But even so, like, I think it's it'll probably stick with you to a certain degree, but it's not one of the greats. Not everything has to be with nail and eye. I'm glad it is, though. Well, yeah. It's very funny. Uh, Michaela Watson, she's uh, Michaela Watkins. She's fantastic. Say. Fantastic. I love her. Um, yes, there's enough. Yeah, there's, some movies are enough to just get by on their personalities, really, aren't they? Yeah. So, Chris Yates, do you have one more thing that we're talking about? I do. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. What have you been watching? <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna, I'll do this really quick because it doesn't need any introduction, but it does need me to talk about it a little bit. I've been watching season 14 of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Gentlemen, I understand that you would like to... You, how, 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 how did you find me? Oh, shit, I know this dude. Who, who's this? This guy was the principal at the high school where I was doing the janitor thing. Yeah. All right, so why are you out of middle school now? Well, I was, I was transferred. See, I have tenure, so they couldn't actually fire me, which was, of course, their first choice, thanks to you. Well, let's not throw barbs at each other. Look, we're actually here for good cause. We want to protect the school. Oh. Yeah, we want to be the armed security guards. Yeah, I brought yeah. a piece. We're good. Hey, hey, I, hey, no, no. Calm yourself. No, you got to put... It's not, no. it's not currently loaded. <laughs> it's not the... Just put I it away. hear you, buddy. I would not want to be around this guy with a gun either. He has got a hair trigger. I mean, uh-huh. one little move and he'll just start blasting. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> Look, the point is, he shouldn't have a gun in a school in the first place anyway. No. Guns just do not belong in schools. No, they do not. That is yes. why I brought along... Uh, it's always sunny in Philly. Never heard of it. Chris, what's going on? It's always sunny in Philly. You sit around five of the worst people you've ever met in your life. They run a bar called Paddy's in Philadelphia and they pull schemes. They get into trouble. They're morally repugnant and they're just beautiful people who I love. Now, Chris, this is a show where I can't believe it's in season 14. It, the I pilot for this, can. I think, was filmed for like $11,000. It was Absolutely really like cheap. Nothing, and I don't right? think the production quality has gotten much better since then. <laughs> they certainly don't spend any much any more on that anymore. Um, I, I don't know exactly how this came about. Season one didn't have Danny DeVito. He saw it, loved it. Well, he was a producer on it. He was a producer on it. So they must have had some connection with him there, previous, yeah. whatever that was. Um, but yeah, I think the show was about to get cancelled because nobody was watching right. it. And then Danny DeVito's like, you know, what if I just join the cast? And that was enough to get some attention on the show. And he's stayed with it for the oh 13 seasons since. He's been in, and he's like, you know, it'd be hard to say he's the best part of the show because it's such an ensemble thing. And it would work without him, like, because I think, you know, the other four are so strong. But the fact that it's still on television, the fact that it, people are still obviously watching it enough for it to be there, and the fact that I get to watch it for um, at least, what is it, 10 to 12 episodes a year, makes me very, very happy indeed. I'm going to read the... Um, well, No, you look like you've got something to say. You I've, say I've, got, I've got two questions. All right. Okay, so f- season 14's already started. We're a few episodes in. Yeah, I'm three in, but I think there's five altogether. Okay. Probably so- seven by now. Yeah, that, that's just the number of episodes that have aired. It's probably like 12 episodes. Yeah, I think it'll be 12, yeah. Okay, so the two questions I want to lob at you. Mm-hmm. First of all, 
It's been going for 14 years. Yes. The show, I understand, still holds up remarkably well. But is it a show where, if you're like me and you've seen a few episodes from season one, I'm sure I've seen all of season one, uh, but you sort of tapped out shortly after that. Could I just jump into season 14 yes, and pick it absolutely. up? Like, narratively, it doesn't really yes, no, require anything. There's not a lot of character growth okay. um, amongst these shows. That's I think, good to hear. Um, the, the, only the, notif- the, the second thing as well, you were going to talk about... Well, sorry. I was just going to say that the, the, the main... There's been one massive character growth in that, um, as of, I think, season 11 or 12, that um, Mac has come out. He's gay. He's out and proud. He's very gay. And he's trying to bang Dennis at every opportunity. <laughs> um, and that would definitely... And and Dennis is definitely getting revealed more and more to be some kind of psychopath um, serial abuser, uh, which is interesting as well. So there is a bit of... When I say no character growth, I shouldn't say that because there's been some very big... Very big ones there. But in a way, you'd probably look at it maybe like The Simpsons, where it's kind of a new thing every week. It's and definitely a new thing every some week. Some things kind of stick every so often. Yeah, yeah. Some things will stick and they will become part of the recurring story. And they'll of, and there's a lot of self-referencing going backwards that um, you might miss out on some of that stuff. Okay, I said I had two questions. I've actually got three. Oh, great. So we're in season 14. Yeah. Is this something which you think is going to end anytime soon? Or do you think they could maybe just keep this running and be like The Simpsons, where maybe in 15 years' time, <laughs> you'll be watching this show on some yeah. streaming service somewhere and they'll still be cranking out like, I can only hope episodes. so I really I can only hope so um, Daddy DeVito must be approaching 100 years old I'm not sure exactly how, how old he is um, and it's funny we think of Danny DeVito as De- Daddy DeVito as a big big time movie star as he was in the um, you know 80s uh, and 90s but of course he's started in television he's one yeah of, from Taxi from Taxi yeah which is a you know almost as good a show as it's always sunny in Philadelphia um, so he's had a good little circular career there. Okay, so my final question. So I think it could, I would love it to last forever. I don't think it will. Nothing nothing that good in my life ever lasts that long. Okay, my final question, and maybe this is the thing that kind of sells the idea of watching this show to people, is what happens in the first two episodes of this year? Give us the log line for each of those episodes. <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> the first one... Um, I'll do the first two because they're both very good. Well, the that's, first, what, that's what I asked for. Yeah, first. yeah, but Jesus. I was going to do the third one. But I don't know. So the first episode is called The Gang Gets Romantic. Um, the logline is, Mac concocts a scheme to attract single women to rent Dennis's bedroom while Frank and Charlie make similar plans to draw in young European co-eds, but neither ad attracts their intended targets. I'm laughing already. The best episode of the season so far has been uh, episode two, which was called Thundergun for Maximum Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Landing in the middle of a focus group after a screening of Thundergun for Maximum Cool, the gang is determined to restore glory and traditional American values back into the franchise, even if it involves sabotage. So this is very fun. They go, uh, they're actually at a, no, that's a little bit wrong because they're actually at a movie and um, they, as they're leaving the cinema, somebody says, hey, do you guys want to be involved in a focus group for a film and they're like oh it's gonna be some horrible french film or something like that and just like we'll just go in there and at least we can give them our american our superior american uh, verdict on it and tell mm. them to everything they're doing wrong it's revealed that it's not that of it it's in fact their favorite ever franchise Thundergun, and um so um they're very excited and they go in but of course uh, in this, you know, you know with ho- modern Hollywood being trying very hard not to offend anybody with political correctness gone mad, they've taken a lot of the things out of Thundergun that the gang um, fell in love with, including the um, 
appearance of Thundergun's flaccid dong, which is a major part of all the other films. Um, and once they figure out that the dong is gone, all hell breaks loose. Uh, I feel like I can't say more than that without ruining the setup. But if that doesn't appeal to you, you're probably not going to like the show. It's really interesting, though, because they do, they sort of do this really offensive comedy without really managing to punch down too hard and without ever really getting pulled up on it. But it's still very confronting. Like I, I had a, when I was thinking about that last night, thinking of, um, I remembered a, a time when I had a bunch of. It's it's kind of it's a long story that I won't get into, but I found myself in a room with some friends and acquaintances who were all quite normies, you know. Let's say, and um, I decided that since the new episode of Always Sunny had just finished uh, screening, that I would be um, getting it uh, by any means necessary to watch with my friends. So you thought you'd introduce some ribald humour, <laughs> some ribald humour to the party in an episode which started with uh, many jokes about a, a dead sex worker. And it didn't go down too well in my little group of friends at the time, except I can imagine for my, not. Uh, my American friend who laughed heartily alongside me and um, she made me not feel so bad for liking it. It's because you're both terrible people. <laughs> Obviously, we both are. But uh, yes, it still doesn't exactly play straight at all. Uh, you're not going to get away with watching it everywhere. But geez, it's just... it's. Um, Exceptional, exceptional stuff. I can't believe it's still as good as as what it was um, thirteen years ago. Really, yeah. So that is um, uh, on, is that available on any of the Australian? It's, it's always been a bit tricky to watch out here. Yeah, I'm not actually too sure where it's sitting exactly. Yeah, I don't know either. But um, I managed to uh, see in, it in the US. Obviously, it's on the FX network the FX and network, is available right. on demand through Hulu. In Australia, Australia, I'm not sure where it is. Well, there's no Hulu in Australia. There's still no Hulu in Australia? How come you're watching Hulu all the time? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. Um, But yeah, which which I think is a bit bit of a shame. I know that when DVDs were still a thing five years ago, they were actually quite... They were always in the shop when they came out and stuff like that. Is it on the Comedy Channel on Foxtel? No idea. Mm. Sorry. Um, But if if you want to find it, you won't have any trouble. How are you watching it? Uh, It's just one of those things. Weird. Osmosis. Yeah. It's Get probably, I, I would go so far as to say it's probably one of my absolute favourite shows of the last 10 years, like easily, I reckon. I could put it in my top five. Well, there's no greater endorsement than that. <laughs> Chris Yates. There's no greater mark of quality than that. It has been a pleasure. Uh, sorry, Dan, I realise you've got to get out of here. You've got important things to do. Um, got TV to watch. Got a lot of TV to watch. I've okay. got to watch 13 episodes of Mr. Robot before what? I see you next I've got to watch the latest episode. Uh, well, no. What, how many did you say? 30-something? Uh, 33 episodes. 10 episodes season one, 13 season two, 10 episodes season three. So when am I going to play Mario Kart if I'm watching Mr. Robot all the time? Trust me, there is enough going. Okay, can I just give you one like incentive to sure. watch it? In episode five of season two... There's a guest star who 17 makes, episodes in. Who makes a very logical appearance in it. All right. And it makes all the sense in the world when you see him. Gordon Shumway, a.k.a. Alf. What? I thought when you said it was a logical experience. No, it, it makes complete it was- sense in a series. All right. Well, uh, can I just skip to that one? Will no. I have missed anything if I watch? Yes. If I if I skip the seventeen episodes before the one with Alf in it? No, nah, mm. you got to watch it all. All right. All right. That, seriously, will. you will love it. Like this is legitimately one of the best series on the air. All right. I will. You make sure you watch some more Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, I'm going to get onto it. All right. Good. Yeah. <sighs> Glad we sorted that out for the people. Okay. Uh, so do we need to do like a blood handshake? <laughs> yeah, we'll do that after. Yeah. Um, uh, not on the good linen in the station here. No, no, not using the good linen. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure this week, Dan. I think um, I'll I'll wrap it up now. 
um, as the professional host of this operation that I am being this week. And no more professional host. Um, if you like what you've been listening to, check yourself out. <laughs> Have a good hard look at yourself. No, no, check out Dan's excellent newsletter that comes out every single day. It's called Always Be Watching. Um, you can subscribe to it by going to... Alwaysbewatching.com. Alwaysbewatching.com. And um, you will have so much information about all the things that are on to watch. It's a very... Televisions and everything we watch now is so extremely fractured. It's hard to keep track of everything. Honestly, your newsletter is the only thing that I know that actually condenses it all down into something that an idiot like me can understand. Well, that's the idea of the newsletter, to try to make sense of it all. Because it's all everywhere. It is. And you're reading all that stuff, so we don't have to. Yeah, pretty much. It's good so, of you. So the newsletter is really about providing some context to all the screen news that's happening around the place and just picking the things that are a bit interesting and explaining why they're interesting Sometimes in too many words, sometimes just giving a quick one-liner. It's great stuff. Um, we have a Facebook community, which is a lot of fun for me, um, and that is called Always Be Watching. And um, you can approach the Dan Barrett on various social media platforms. Yeah. Let's just talk about Twitter, because I'm trying to not use the other ones. Okay, Twitter. Yeah. Um, at the Dan Barrett. That's right. Um, and yeah, that's about... Yeah, I think that's it. That's everything. All the bases covered. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, we talked about four shows on this week's episode. Yes. And just in case you kind of missed where you could watch them, Mr. Robot, it airs on USA Network in the US and Hulu On Demand. In Australia, you can find it here on Foxtel uh, On Demand for the most recent episodes, but all the episodes are On Demand. Great. Uh, also, Amazon Prime Video, I believe, have episodes as well. Utopia Season 4 is on iView. Yeah. Uh, Under the Eiffel Tower is on Netflix. And always sunny in Philadelphia. We, we don't know where the hell you can watch that. But yeah. try your best. FX in the US, Hulu in the US, and we're not quite sure in Australia, but possibly on the Foxtel. Maybe. We'll get a, we'll get a call now. We'll get an angry call from your Foxtel friends. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. See you then.